You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, you are a masterpiece. You believe that yet? I've been talking about it for a few weeks. That is a truth from Ephesians as we continue our time in Ephesians that God has, before creation of time, saw you in Christ and he sees the completed masterpiece. Even though we're in today, we may feel like a mess. God is working in our mess um, because he sees us located in Christ. And so we'll continue that that idea and that thought. And today is one of those days where if you've come to church and you think, man, is this message going to be for me? It's probably not. Um, Because it's for anybody that's in a relationship right now. So is that anybody? Okay. So yeah. So probably for everybody. Okay. You're like, wait, I can leave? Yeah. No. This is one of those ones where Paul talks to us about relationships. So whether you're married, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're a boss, whether you're an employee, wherever you're at in a relationship, this will be relevant to you. And I promise you, you will be mad, hopefully not at me, but mad at Paul, because he's going to throw you for a loop this morning. In a minute, we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 18. But relationship um, issues have not changed since the beginning of time, right? I've done a series before even entitled Marriage is Easy, and uh, which is truly not true. Anyone knows that marriage isn't easy. Every relationship is difficult, but especially marriage is because we're naturally selfish people. And so we are perfectly fine in a relationship until we invite someone else in it, and then they are completely selfish and mess up our relationship. And so that's kind of what Paul is talking about today. Even in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when God created Adam and then he created Eve, it says in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, God made a helper for Adam. And that verse, even that word helper has been changed, has been misused in so many different ways. And so sometimes people say, hey, whenever you get married, that person completes me. And if that's your thought, then you are beginning in a wrong place in your marriage or in any relationship. Nobody else ever completes you. Jesus is the only person that can complete you. Another person in any relationship is a helper or a helpmate. And here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says Eve was created to be a helper to Adam. And that word helper is easier, E-Z-E-R. And it literally means someone who's superior chooses to serve their inferior. And we see it played out. Yeah, (laughs) all the wives are like, yeah, I knew this. (laughs) All right. But it's in relation to a military rank. And so you see God in Psalms, it says, the Lord is my helper. He's the superior one coming to help me. We see it in the New Testament when Jesus says, I'm sending a helper to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so it's this idea of out-serving one another. And so it kind of flips everything upside down. And so Adam and Eve's relationship issues began it all, and we live in their mess. So relationships, you know, even back in the 1900s were messy, weren't they? Um, How many of you had relationships in the 1900s, a couple of you? How many of you had relationships in the 1800s? 
If so, I'd love to have coffee with you and talk about manifest destiny and all. Anyway, but even back in the old days, there were relationship issues. And so even the Jewish religious people of the day had relationship issues. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, Moses was brought with the question, what do we do? Can we ever divorce our, our wife? Can we ever divorce our spouse? And so Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 says, men, you can divorce based upon the uncleanness of your wife. And so from that point, then there began discussion on what is unclean. So some scholars, Jewish scholars said, hey, unclean means my wife's had a relationship outside or whatever. And then others said, hey, that means your wife didn't make a very good dinner. Your wife got ugly over time or whatever. There became all these different reasons for a wife to become unclean. And so there, so you can imagine by the time they get to Jesus's day, there was a spirit of, I can divorce my wife for any reason I want. And so, again, that's the religious people of the day. And so Paul's talking to a church in Ephesus and, and people that have that kind of culture, even within the religious people. But the Greeks, they didn't even have a legal procedure for divorce. Because the women's role was to, in the Greek household, was to produce legit heirs and namesakes and keep the house. While the men, anything outside of the home was free game. Now it makes sense if you think about it because the main temple of worship in Ephesus was the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis and it was a fertility cult and so you can imagine, hey, I'm going to go to church. And you can imagine just the culture even within that namesake, Greek men pursued whatever they wanted to and so it was a culture that was dominated by prostitution and all kinds of craziness, stuff that we see and are talking about in our culture today was prevalent in the culture of Paul and Jesus in their day. Also the Romans, divorce was not the rule, but divorce was the rule, not the exception. Jerome, who was a Roman author and writer of the day, kind of the keeping tabs on what was happening around towns and cities and kind of giving us, and we have a tendency to go back and see what was happening in Roman times, tells us of a man who was married 21 times. In other words, he was broke. His wife married 23 times. That was the norm of the day. The culture of marriage and relationships in the day of Paul and Jesus wasn't radically different from our day. And so here Paul is speaking into a culture where relationships are messy and crazy. And so he's putting into them, hey, here's some new things that I want you to grasp. In Christ, this should change how you do relationships, not just marriage, but how you parent, how you even as a child, how you're a boss, how you're an employee. Everything should change. He's reframing relationships in Ephesians chapter five and chapter six for us to understand that we are to do relationships differently than everyone else. And that one of the things that he points to, he says, if we do relationships differently than everyone else, people are going to see it and they're going to want to be a part of this faith that we have in Christ because our lives are going to be radically different than everyone else around us. Relationships today, we know that the statistics tell us inside and outside of the church, first marriages, about 50% of them end in divorce. Second marriages, almost 70% end in divorce. 
Currently, right now, there's a movement within American culture per se, but also in Europe, that most, more than 50% of people that are 18 and above are saying that they want to remain single and maybe cohabitate. There's a resistance to marriage because they've seen bad marriages. And they've seen the fallout. They've seen the stuff that happens because of it. And they don't want any part of it. They've seen it for multiple generations now. Cohabitation is on the rise, as we talked about. And a few years ago, in about 2000, 50% said it was okay. Now it's more than 80% say that it's okay. That's our kids and our grandkids. Cohabitation before marriage doesn't help. It actually makes it harder. There's more divorce in that. And so it's just... It's just the craziness of it all. And then even a couple of weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal, which is not a Christian newspaper or magazine, okay, wrote an article, and this, this should open your eyes. This Wall Street Journal article confirms that marriage is the building block upon which societies are built and are important in long-term happiness and health. That's not a Christian group. That's... Social scientists looking at our world and saying, hey, something's wrong. And as they've done some research and some studies, they're seeing how what biblically is true is the home is central to faith and life. They're now saying, hey, we've got to get back to family in the home. They even said this. They even question, and this is American culture, they question the ability of a society and a culture to survive in a post-nuptial world. In other words, they see... The crumbling of the home and they see the crumbling of the nation. If you look throughout history, if you're a fan of history, every nation and culture and society that has imploded, it didn't implode from the outside. It imploded from the inside and it imploded at the center of the home. And so we're going to be challenged today. This is going to be some hard stuff. And especially for us as men, we're going to, I'm going to challenge you with some things. Okay. Cause here's what I want you to understand is To be a follower of Jesus is not a soft, weak thing. Men, we are called to die for our faith and for our family. That's not a weak calling or a soft calling. That's the ultimate calling. And so Paul is layering this back for us. Paul tells us that all relationships are a gift. As Jesus followers, he lays the foundation of how we can experience life and relationships to the full. And so the key to all of this is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, which Jonathan talked a little bit about last week. And I'm so thankful for Jonathan and the, the rest of the team. It's awesome that I can be away for a day and spend some time with family and know that there's a wonderful team of people. So when you see Jonathan, give him a good game and tell him he was awesome. Um, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this be filled with is a continual filling. So the Holy Spirit, when you say yes to Jesus, in that moment that you recognize that you cannot save yourself, that the only way that you can have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and have an eternity to become the masterpiece that God wants for you, is through Christ. When you recognize that and say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, takes residence with inside of you. And we talked about a few weeks ago that one of the things about our spiritual journey is, is that our heart is the home of Christ. And so in that moment that the spirit comes in, he's cleaning the house. He's going room by room, closet by closet, hallway by hallway. And he's cleaning it out so that Christ can feel at home 
in our heart and know that, hey, he has taken residence and it's homey for him. He's not a guest. He's not a visitor. He's not a foreigner. He's not. He is at home with us. And that's work that we can't do. That's only work that the Holy Spirit can do. And that's through us surrendering and allowing him to do his work. Now, another way to think about this is. Recently, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving up and I saw this thing in my yard. I live a lot in the country, just a little bit. And there was this big black thing in my yard. And I thought, hmm, interesting. I didn't invite him to my house. And lo and behold, the next morning when I'm going out, I realized this black thing has teeth. He owns a Bucky's. He's trying to build a Bucky's at my house. There's a beaver in my front yard chewing some trees and I notice, hey, he's got a little thing going on in my pond and in my neighbor's pond over there as well. And so if any of you remove beavers, call me and I will get you a Bucky's hat and you can remove it, okay? But what happens? What does a beaver do? A beaver builds up a dam to stop the flow or to slow down the flow. It just happens. And so this is true for us is we have a tendency in our natural humanness to dam up the flow of the Spirit because we try to do things in our own strength, in our own wisdom, our own knowledge. And so over time, when we say no to the Holy Spirit, when we say no to Christ, we dam up the flow of the Spirit in our heart. And so God can't do all that He wants to do in us because we're saying no. And so what Paul is reminding us of is there should be a continual flow of the Spirit of God in us to the point that over time that we are filled with and overflowing with and that we our heart is just a fountain and a spring of continual life of living water. And that because of that, because the Spirit of God has taken residence, because there's continual feeling, because Jesus feels at home in our heart, therefore it then transforms all of our relationships. Make sense? So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Here we go. God-designed relationships require, verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this submission is core to all of our relationships, marriage, parenting, work, church, whatever. We even see it in James 4.1, the opposite of what Paul's talking about here. In James 4.1, James shows us that the reasons that we fight and quarrel is because we want our rights and our privileges. We don't submit to each other, but we fight over each other to say, hey, listen, I want my way when I want how I want it. And if we step back and we look at all the arguments And quarrels in our life, the reason that we're arguing and quarreling is because we want our way, our rights, our privileges, and don't willingly submit to each other. But spirit-filled living fights for the bottom, fights to serve and submit. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus even tells us in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a gift. So for us, submission means as Jesus' followers, we willingly choose a lower rank to serve others. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus even says, listen, I had the ability to be the general, to have the highest rank. 
because I am God the Son. But I chose instead the lowest rank to serve you and to give my life so that you would be raised up in me. And so for us to have the spirit of Christ and the submission of Christ is to lay our life down and to to choose the lower rank. Because the submission not only is is choosing the lower rank, but it's also it's this idea of providing structure and function to our relationships, which we'll talk a little bit more about a little bit later. You'll understand why the husband's the head of the house. And I know that's not not a fun thing, but we'll talk about what that actually means and not what other people tell us. And interpersonal relationships means there's mutual submission, that we're trying to outserve one another. Matter of fact, one of the things when I counsel couples that are thinking about getting married and even on their wedding day, we give them gifts related to this. But one of the things I tell couples is your deal is to outserve one another. When you've said yes to each other on that day in front of each other and you're making a covenant, you're telling your spouse, I am going to pursue you for the rest of my days. And in my pursuit of you, it's not to raise myself up, but it's to actually serve you and submit to you and to make sure that you are raised up, that it's 100% a pursuit of outserving the other person, spouses, children. It's, it's, it's upside down thinking. We have a tendency to think of it as when we think of Christian marriage as this submit woman and it's over, right? I mean, y'all have been around churches and that kind of stuff and and, and it, it's not true actually the relationship principle for all relationships that paul illustrates here talking about marriage and parenting and work it, it's it's this idea that the reason that the man is the head of the household is because we're called to give up the most we're to give our life our wives are just to respect us There's a whole different level of responsibility and calling. And so you can imagine what it's like for a wife to understand that the husband would literally step in front of a bus for them and for the family and how that changes the ranking and the order. It's not about he's the general. It's about the fact that he's willing to give his life and what that means. Verse 22. So wives, this means submit. Outserve your husbands as the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits, outserves to Christ, so does his wife outserve and submit to the husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. And this love is that agape love, the, the God type, self sacrificial type love. All throughout these verses, when it says love, that's the type of love it's referring to. So, husbands, this means agape love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He submitted, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So, here Paul is drawing on an image that's an old image. So, in the old days back then, there was a period of waiting. We call it engagement. So when someone was to get engaged, there was this period of waiting, and it's usually 9 to 12 months to make sure that the bride and the husband-to-be are clean and pure in their relationship, okay? And so in that 9 to 12 months, the bride-to-be is preparing herself for the wedding day. And so her and her mom are in cahoots together, and she's getting prepared. And so in all honesty, she is. she's taking milk baths. 
She's putting cucumbers on her eyes. She's getting her nails done. She's doing all these things right because she's the bride. She's the princess. She's getting ready to be married to her king. And while she's doing all of those things, anytime she goes outside of her house, she wears a veil so that no one can look upon her radiant beauty until her wedding night. While she's doing that, the husband-to-be is at home with his father, and his father is helping him prepare a room on his house. And so every time someone says, hey, when is the wedding day? His response is, only my father knows. Because his father is the one that knows when his room and his house will be ready to take on his bride. And so here Paul is drawing on this imagery of a husband-to-be is preparing a room for his bride. And there will be no shortcuts because the father is overseeing the work. And the bride-to-be is over here. She's preparing herself for her wedding night and beyond. And the mother is overseeing that and making sure that she's without spot and without blemish in the time that it takes for that preparation. And so that on that wedding night, when her full glory is revealed, the radiant beauty of the bride, he's like, wow. And this is what Paul is drawing our imagery to. That a husband would so sacrificially love his wife that he would give his life for her that others would see the beauty and the radiance of the woman that she is. That no one would call into question her character or who she is because of the way that he loves her and cares for her and lays down his life for her. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And in the same way, husbands ought to agape love their wives as they agape love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. For we are members of his body. So here Paul has flipped the script. And he's saying, listen, wives, you're to submit to your husbands because your husbands are laying down their lives for you. That that your husbands are willing to give up everything for you. That they are willing to give all of themselves so that you will be the radiant beauty. And how that would flip the script for everyone. So the rank and the position is a husband and wife aren't trying to get to the top of the pyramid, but are trying to get to the bottom to serve one another. That 100% I'm going to outserve you. I'm in pursuit of outserving you. And she's in a pursuit of outserving you. And so there's not a pursuit of rights and privileges, but a rights of serving. You can imagine how different a marriage and all relationships would be if we pursued the bottom rank of private instead of general. And how ladies think it would be radically different. If you knew and you understood and you saw that your husband repeatedly sacrificed his rights and his privileges and lay down his life for you. And the scripture says, men, this is our call. This is not a weak, soft calling. And that what it says is that our wives then should respect us. When I think about what the culture shows today on TV, as we've seen, we've moved from the cleavers to something else. Where husbands were sacrificing, and I'm I'm not going to get into all that other stuff, but I want you to understand the biblical picture of a husband laying down his life for his children. Where today, 
culture mocks a father by the wife is seen as dumb or inadequate. Even children mock the father. Inadequate, dumb. Like, why are you even here? We don't need you. And I think a big part of it because as men of God, we've abdicated our responsibility and our leadership, and we've weaned out. That's the biblical term. From the call to stand strong. That what we should be doing as men of God is standing before the door of our house with the breastplate of righteousness and with our sword ready to fight. That we've allowed stuff into our house. We allow stuff to influence our family, to influence our children, to influence our stuff. And we should be standing strong to the point of willing to give our life for the faith of our wife and our children. But we've abdicated. And so now, is it any surprise to us that the Wall Street Journal says the home is falling apart? And man, I'll be honest with you, we've, we've, it's easier to not be the leader. It's much more convenient to just say, hey, I'm going to let so-and-so handle it or this person handle it. Or, you know what, church is more of a female thing. Baloney. Baloney. It's a brave heart type thing. Get your kilt on, get painted up, and say, come on. And it's not an alone thing, it's a together thing. You don't go in battle alone, we go together, but there's a fight to be fought, and if we're ever going to fight it, now is the time to plant our flag and say, this is it. And it's not an American thing, this is a faith Jesus thing. You've got to stand strong, Verse 31, as scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and joins his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ, it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect his husband. Here again, Paul draws us back to some powerful imagery. One is this, this idea of joined together is cemented. And so the cement is hardened. It's not going to separate. But there's also this imagery that takes us back to Genesis where it says the two shall become one. And it's this word called dode. And it's this mysterious thing that happens when a man and a woman become one on the wedding night. There's a mingling of the souls. And so that every time a man and a woman are United as one, there's a further mingling of the souls. And so you can imagine over time the enmeshment of the souls that happens. And so what Paul is talking about is that we as husbands and wives become entangled together and interwoven together. And so that when divorce happens... That's one of the reasons that it's so painful and it hurts. It hurts our souls because we're literally ripping apart and trying to figure out how's this entanglement become undone, if it can ever be. 
And so Paul is drawing us and says, listen, as Christ has entangled, entangled his messes with us and the church, husband and wife are entangled together, the mysteriousness of this. And so the pulling apart is painful and hurtful. That's why the scripture talks about divorces, murder and violence. Because there's no other way to separate something that's that entangled. So Paul says, love your wife. 100% outserve because that entangling. But here's the beauty. We're in covenant with God the Father through Christ like that. Is that when he gave his life for us and we said yes to him, our souls became entangled with him. And even when there's those moments where we say, I'm done with this faith thing, I'm done with this Jesus thing, God the Father says, go for it. You cannot untangle yourself from me. It's impossible. That's the beauty. And that's what the marriage relationship is like. And so powerful stuff as far as us husbands Loving our wives in such a way to give our life and this entangling that happens and this the spirit of outserving one another, how that would change our marriage relationship. Think happy wife equals happy life. If we were to one hundred percent seek to outserve one another. And understand that in marriage men and women are equal before God, but God has established an order based upon what is required in submission. So the man is the head of the household because we give our life. So it's not submit woman. It's I'm here for you. I'm willing to give my life for you. And a woman says, a man that is willing to give his life for me and not just flowers for me is worth respecting. And they're listening to their opinion. We're equal before God's eyes, but if we're as men seeking to outserve our wives, they're going to say, hey, let's talk about it. This agape type love is unconditional, guys. I want you to hear this. This blew me away this week. A husband's love is not dependent upon his wife's response. Think about this. If we're to love with God-type love, we're to love our wives, no matter the response. It's an act, ongoing act of will, not guided by my emotions. Or your emotions. A husband's love is not dependent upon his wife's response. It's an ongoing act of will, not guided by emotions. This is new stuff that Paul is throwing out. It's not found in the Old Testament. It's not in the rabbinic teachings. It's not in the house codes of the day. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. So it changes our marriage relationships. But look at chapter 6, verse 1 and following. It also changes our parental relationships with others. Children, obey or submit to your parents because you belong to the Lord. 
And again, the reminder that the home is the central place of life and faith. And so if you look back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 9 and following, there's this idea that everywhere we go and everything we do as parents is training up and raising up our children in the faith. So when you're driving to a game, when you're sitting down at dinner, when you're on a trip, everywhere you go as parents with your children is an opportunity to teach your children about your faith in Jesus Christ, good or bad. Because our children catch more than they're taught. So everywhere we go, we're teaching them about Jesus. So if we steal, we're teaching them what we think about Jesus. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you'll have a long life on earth. Verse 4, parents, it's the correct interpretation. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. By the way that you treat them. In other words, don't put your rights over their rights. It's an interesting thing of, of loving and caring for your kids in the right way of, of rearing them up and raising them up and not just saying, when a kid says why, we say, because I'm the parent. It's convenient in the moment. But what does it mean to raise them up and to teach them in the faith in life? Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Again, look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 5 says slaves. That's a hard word for us. It's, it's not an easy word. It's people that are indentured servants. It's not a fun word. Translate and think about it today in some ways. It's employees and bosses, okay? It doesn't put less at what this is actually talking about, but how does this translate for us today? Employees... Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely. How? As you would serve Christ. So you may have a job that you do not like or in a place that you do not like, but God doesn't make mistakes and he's placed you in that job for that season for a reason. And if no other reason than to serve Christ, and so other people can see, listen, that person... There's something different about them because no one wants to work here. But this person does it differently. Verse 7, work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. You are anyway. Verse 8, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Verse 9, employers, treat your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. In other words, we're all equal. Matthew seven twelve says, do to others what you would want them to do to you. We call that the golden rule. In all of these areas of relationship, even within church, there's a, a mutual submission, a spirit of outserving one another. How can I help you? Not what can I get? What are my rights? I should be here. I should get this. I should get that instead of serving. So God-designed relationships require three things I want you to get. One is that there has to be a continual surrendering to the Spirit of God. There has to be a continual surrendering to the Spirit of God to be filled in Him. It's work. Surrendering. The second thing is that agape-type love seeks to outserve each other. No matter husband, wife, parent, child, is a desire to serve the other person and to raise them up, which means that we submit 
and say, how can I help? And third, is that you become this oxymoron of a lead servant. There's an upside-down system of order and function. That Jesus could have easily said, hey, listen, you're here to serve me. And he taught us and said, listen, we've come to serve and to give our life for others. It's an upside-down ranking system from what the world puts before us. So, how are your relationships? How are your relationships? How's your relationship with your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your boss, your employee, your friends, church people? All of it starts in verse 18. You're allowing God to take residence and to fill you. Is the Spirit of God overflowing? If not, what are you allowing to stop up the flow? Pull back and allow God to do the work that He needs to do. And then finally, are you keeping rank? You keeping notes on what your rank is? Hey, I've got this, so so and so should give me this. My prayer is, is that all of us walk out of this room and whatever rank you think you've got, you just rip it off and put a private, the lowest rank, and say, my rank, my identity is found in Christ. I'm located in him, and that's what matters. To everyone else, I'm a private, and I'm here to serve because that's what my general did. If my general can take on the rank of a private and serve everyone else, surely I can. I guarantee you, it will change your marriage, change your parenting, change your work, change your church. It will change everything. If you seek to outserve the other person, even if you don't think they deserve it, it's not your call to make. Serve them anyway. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you came to serve us. You sought us out and pursued us to serve us. Thank you. May we remove whatever rank we think we've got from our sleeves and become privates. Privates in the army of Christ with marching orders to love our neighbors with everything we've got. May we do that well this week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So this morning as we continue, there's a time to respond. There's a cross in the back where you can put some notes. Altars open, you can pray. There's candles in the back. You can light a candle in response to whatever. There's communion, Lord's Supper over here. Feel free to move. For some reason, the first service, they just move all over the place and are good. Y'all are a little more timid. I don't know what's going on, but you have permission to move, okay? And to do what God wants to do in you and through you during this time. Would you stand with me as we continue our time together? Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.